Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 35. This is the fourth chapter in the Elihu section of the story. In this part of the dialogue, Elihu is attempting to address two questions that he believes that Job has raised. Question number one is the question, what is the value in being good? After all, Job claims to be innocent, and yet he has experienced terrible calamity. Therefore, the question seems to be, why bother being good? Elihu wants to address that. In in fact, he wants to destroy the validity of of the foundational premise itself because he doesn't believe that Job is actually innocent. Like the friends, he thinks the simplest explanation is the best one. Job is a terrible sinner, and therefore we need be asking all of these ridiculous and impious questions. The second question that Elihu believes that Job is asking is some version of the question, Why doesn't God answer prayer? We'll hear him address that question in verses 9 to 16. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. And Elihu answered and said, Do you think this to be just? Do you say, It is my right before God? That you ask, What advantage have I? How am I better off than if I had sinned? I will answer you and your friends with you. Look at the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than you. If you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are multiplied, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? Or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness concerns a man like yourself, and your righteousness a son of man. Now, once again, Elihu is guilty of distorting or exaggerating Job's position. Let's just pause and notice how this is so often the death of useful dialogue. There can be no progress in a conversation if we're going to pounce upon stray words and loose phrases, things that, as Job said back at the beginning of the conversation, really ought to be just considered words to the wind. And there can be no progress in a conversation if we're going to distort and exaggerate what our opponent is trying to say. Job has never said that there is no value in personal righteousness. What he has said is that there is no connection between his suffering and his sin. And he has protested that his righteousness has apparently gone unnoticed. He would like very much for his righteousness to be met by the sorts of favor and blessing that their collective worldview seems to require. And and yet it hasn't. And that perplexes and distresses Brother Job. That is what this conversation is trying to be about. But several of the participants appear to be very bad listeners. And this stalls and sabotages all honest efforts at godly and useful conversation. If you're only interested in winning the conversation, then by all means, 
Follow the path blazed by Elihu and the three older friends. But if you're interested in growing in your understanding of God and helping people who are hurting, then you have to be committed to doing better. In a good conversation, we try to deal with the best version of what the other person is saying. And Elihu isn't doing that here. And he isn't exactly covering himself in rhetorical glory either. In fact, it appears as though he's painting himself into a corner. His basic point here is that human righteousness doesn't affect God in any way. God is exalted in his glory. He's high in the heavens. He certainly isn't personally obsessed with the particulars of Job's situation. No, human behavior only has an impact on other human beings down here. So Job shouldn't be asking the question, what is the point of doing good? Being good or bad has no impact on God, but it does affect who you are as a neighbor. And the universe has been designed to regulate and adjudicate neighborly behavior. That is the bizarre result of Elihu's contorted effort to respond to a question that Job never actually asked. Beginning with impartiality, he has ended up with indifference. In attempting to vindicate God, he has made him distant and impersonal. Tremper Longman III says here, Elihu's picture of a disinterested God will be undermined by the Yahweh speeches at the end. So, Elihu is wrong here, and the structure of the narrative makes that clear. What he says about God in this section is not at all true, and what he implies about Job is not at all true. In fact, in this section of the dialogue, Elihu appears to be functioning as the mouthpiece for the devil. Remember that we know what's actually going on here. The devil accused Job in the heavenly court of being a spiritual mercenary. The accusation was that Job only worshiped God for the benefits that he received. And so God said that the devil could temporarily remove those benefits so that all in the heavenly court could ascertain the strength and the substance of Job's piety. That is what this is actually all about. This is a test and a display of Job's faith in God. And so here, Elihu sounds an awful lot like the incarnated voice of the accuser. Elihu is saying to Job, you only worship God for the benefits. And now in the absence of those benefits, you dare to accuse God. Well, again, to be clear, Job has never done this. Job has asked questions Job has expressed hurt and confusion, but he has never turned on God. He wants God to explain. He wants to see God so that he can know what is going on. But he has not abandoned God, and he is not a spiritual mercenary. And thus, Elihu, unwittingly, in this portion of the dialogue, has become the voice of the accuser in the ear of Brother Job. In the last half of this chapter, Elihu addresses a second question that he understands Job to have asked. The question is some version of, why does God not answer prayer? And Job has, in fact, asked versions of this question. He has said that he's called out for God and seemingly experienced his absence. So at least here, Elihu is addressing something that Job actually did say. He attempts to answer that question in verses 9 to 16. 
Because of the multitude of oppressions, people cry out. They call for help because of the arm of the Almighty. But none says, where is God my maker, who gives songs in the night, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth and makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens? There they cry out, but he does not answer. Because of the pride of evil men. Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. How much less when you say that you do not see him, that the case is before him and you're waiting for him. And now, because his anger does not punish and he does not take much note of transgression, Job opens his mouth in empty talk. He multiplies words without knowledge. Elihu's response to the second question is required by his answer to the first question. In order to vindicate God from Job's implied criticisms, which he has not accurately understood or represented, Elihu has made God distant and indifferent. In theological terms, we would say that Elihu has absolutized God's transcendence at the expense of his imminence. He has turned God into a cold and absent monarch. Now, he has to follow through on that. Job has complained that he's been calling out for God and receiving no response. Well, Elihu says, why would you expect a response? God is too majestic and too exalted to take notice of your puny little prayers. People are ignorant and idolatrous, and they only pray when they're oppressed. And therefore, many of their prayers are not pleasing to the Lord. They are deficient in motive, reverence, and affection. And the implication, of course, is that Job is such a person, and he has prayed in such a way. His prayers are deficient. He opens his mouth in empty talk, and he is therefore rightly ignored by God. Francis Anderson is worth quoting at length here because of the pastoral wisdom he exhibits in his commentary on the section. He says, It is always possible to think of a reason for unanswered prayer. The trite explanation, which we hear all too often, is that you didn't have enough faith, or you prayed from the wrong motive, or you must have some hidden, unconfessed sin. This diagnosis is always applicable. Everyone who prays is aware of the weakness of his faith. Everyone with a scrap of self-knowledge knows that his motives are always mixed. Everyone who searches his conscience can find no end of fresh sins to be dealt with. If no prayers could be offered and none answered until all these conditions were satisfied, none would ever be offered and none answered. The Elihus of this world do not care about the cruelty of their perfectionist advice and its unreality. Their theory is saved. That is what matters. Closed quote. Are you hearing that, friends? There is a profound, unloving cruelty in any pastoral approach that would put the burden for unanswered prayer upon the soul of the suffering person. When a couple with a sick child prays to God for a miraculous healing and does not receive it, 
do not crush them by turning them towards their own weakness and humanity. Of course their faith wasn't perfect. Of course their motives were mixed. Maybe they were entirely selfish. Of course. And of course they don't deserve a miracle from God. Such things are true of all of us. Rather, what you ought to do as a loving friend is to remind them of the compassion and responsiveness of Almighty God. Remind them of Jesus, who when he saw the crowds had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, Matthew 9.36. Remind them that God sees, he hears, he responds, he is affected, and he can do marvelous things. Remind them also that God is wise, and he sees the whole board. And so sometimes he'll give us what we ask for, and other times he'll give us what we would have asked for had we seen all the things that he sees. But he does answer prayer, contrary to this very unhelpful speech by Elihu. God does see, he is near, and he does care. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to End of the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And I hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of End of the Word. Before.